Um, just a comment on the Bible. God has given us and preserved for us the Scriptures so that a day like today we can turn to the Bible, and if we do this every day, often, uh, we can do so with confidence to believe the truth of the Bible. So we, we therefore fight for the inerrancy and authority of the Bible. Because if you diminish your confidence in the Bible, you don't know what God has to say. And so as those who do believe that which God has given us, we can access the Bible, we can know the truth of God and benefit from it as we go forward. And I, I say that this morning in the light of this week's circumstances, and I want to turn therefore to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and uh, do you want to read uh, even the, the last couple of verses from uh, the previous chapter just to bring some context? Verse 18, And we all, with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of, of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who are for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it, is, for it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen 
are eternal. Just so far, uh, God's word. Lord, thank you. Thank you so much for the Bible, for giving us this gift, not leaving us in darkness, uh, giving us a message of good news and hope. And I pray this morning as we turn to this particular passage that you, Lord, would speak to our situation, into our lives, encouraging us, uh, leading us forward, uh, Lord, for the sake of your name among the nations and even among our own community and congregation, we pray. Pray that your spirit would enable me to speak simply and clearly, but knowing, Lord, the unction, the power of your spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the tragic, and it really is a tragic event of one of our deacons at Arcadia, and as I said earlier on, this taking place on the premises while the rest of the staff, we were all there. We were all there. Uh, it took place in his office, and the perpetrator was somebody he was trying to help. I think that leaves the family feeling terribly shocked. I think it leaves the church feeling a sense of trauma. It's been a blow to Clotilda and the family. It's been a blow to our church. We are shocked. I'm sure you are shocked that this could have happened. The problem this morning we face and the reality of where we are as a church is the shock and grief can so easily lead us down a pathway of despair and discouragement. The trauma of this incident has the potential of influencing us and tempting us to give up gospel work amongst the homeless people. There's a real danger that we face. It may even lead some folk, and I've heard this already said, it may even lead some folk giving up being part of a congregation at a place in Arcadia where there has been blatant, yes, blatant disregard, disrespect for sacred life at a place of ministry and worship. It, it doesn't make sense. And, and, and I've heard, I've heard it said, I don't want to go back to that building. So in and of ourselves, it would be so easy for us to lose heart. And then we add that into the context of our world and, and where we find ourselves. If we allow our thoughts to explore and dwell on all that is happening in the world around us, we can so easily end up fueling the fires of despair and discouragement. Just to give some examples uh, the lingering and destructive COVID pandemic. We are getting weary, becoming weary from this thing that doesn't seem to be coming to an end. The looting and mayhem of a few weeks ago has certainly sent messages to many people in our context, many of us, uncertainty uh, and fear for the future. The repeated political maneuvering dominated by self-interest and greed. Do you get the picture? Something bad happens and, and so easily our attention can go to other bad things and negative things that are happening. And, and even at a personal level, we, we among a small congregation face challenges and disappointments in some families. And I'm one of those families, terrible illness. 
Some people facing financial hardship. Others in a place of relationship brokenness. And so I repeat, in and of ourselves, it would be so easy, and we could even say it is reasonable, it is justifiable to lose heart, to become discouraged, to give up. But I don't think any one of us wants to give up. We don't want to lose heart. We don't want to live in a place of hopelessness and despair and and discouragement. And so, so immediately my mind went to this passage. Because this passage, when there is a passage like this, where in the midst of crisis after crisis, disappointment after disappointment, if you don't know the Apostle Paul, the author of this particular letter, he was flogged, he was persecuted, he was thrown out of town, he had difficulty after difficulty, and yet crisis after after crisis happens, he writes a message, a declaration. We do not lose heart. Man, I want to know why. How can he say that? Why is that true for him? Why is that true for us? Why is the Apostle Paul so adamant and confident regarding this matter of not losing heart? Why is he able to say, if you have your Bible open, chapter 4, verse 1, we do not lose heart. Chapter 4, verse 16, we do not lose heart. We didn't get to chapter 5, but verse 6 says there, so we are always of good courage. I want to know why. Well, we have to examine the passage. Everything between, everything around, these phrases of encouragement must have the answer to this wonderful state of mind. The ability not to sink and to stay down in the valley of despair. But I want to give you this morning reasons. I want to find those reasons and share them with you. Reasons for strength to climb back up. Not to lose heart. That we experience the joy of the Lord. Knowing that God indeed is our refuge and strength. I try to find uh, a single verse that perhaps sums up where I'm going this morning. And... I think it's verse 16. Uh, Paul is saying that even though it is a fact that we human beings, writing to the Corinthians, that we are outwardly wasting away. In other words, this body is frail and weak and fragile and it fails. It gets weaker and weaker and it drops. But he makes the point, inwardly on this journey, while we navigate uh, the, the, the crises and, and the difficulties and the uncertainties and the fears. Inwardly, inwardly, we can know the renewing strength that comes from God. So that's what I want to give you this morning. And I'm going to give you a whole bunch of reasons. Number one, how does that work? Number one, God reveals himself. Even here this morning, God is revealing himself. How does he do that? Well, let's go back to the passage. God in his wisdom, let me first make this statement, and then I'm going to illustrate it from the Apostle Paul. God in his wisdom uses us struggling, frail, hurting people as we go through the difficulties, as we face the difficulties, and these are varied, and they come at different times, and, and they come in different intensity, but he uses that. 
the difficulties in your life and my life as Christians to make an important point. Here's the important point. That when suffering, when the suffering and afflicted Paul, now we're thinking at Paul, we're looking at Paul. When people look at Paul and they see what has happened to him, all these hardships, that he still continues, that he is encouraged to go on in godly living, and that he works in useful gospel ministry, when people see that, when we see that, it becomes clear to them that the reason for this is because it's not because of Paul. It's because of God's work in him. There's something unnatural happening. Because naturally speaking, normally speaking, man, he'd go crawl in the corner. He'd go hide away. Not going to do any ministries. Not going to be encouraged. And I've seen that even amongst our people in our church. Going through difficulties. Going through hardship. And unnaturally, they continue. Not because they have strong personalities or uh, capable characters. No, it's because of God's presence. And, and the passage shows us God shows himself. God manifests himself in and through us fragile and weak clay jars. Look at verse 7 of chapter 4. But we have this treasure. Now he's speaking there of the treasure of the gospel and, 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 and knowing the glory of God in the face of Christ. We have this treasure to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. There's something God has done in you. There's something God has given you to enable you to demonstrate the unnatural, the unexpected. You see, the instrument is not in good shape. We instruments are never in good shape, to be quite honest. And so the amazing things being done, the unexpected responses to hardship are un undoubtedly, undoubtedly seen to be the work of God. But not only is God making himself known, and I'm going to try and build this argument, he's at work in the life of his hurting and burdened children. My second point is God strengthens his servants. The instrument is facing all sorts of terrible hardship. But as I've already indicated, the life of Jesus is evident. Now we're going to verse 8. Now get, 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 a, get, get a, a picture of what, what Paul is describing here. We are afflicted in every way. He's punch drunk, but not crushed. Perplexed. Don't understand what's going on. But not driven to despair. Persecuted. Those early Christians were persecuted for their faith in ways that we cannot even begin to imagine. I've been reading again just from last week again Fox's Book of Martyrs, and I am shocked at the way pagans, they were called, treated believers, chopping their heads off, burning them in fires, dragging them uh, behind horses until they were dead, putting them on hot iron. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Did you get the picture? It does, does it get worse than that? 
So now I ask myself, well, why are all the knots possible? Not crushed, not driven to despair, not forsaken, not destroyed. Now here's a wonderful theological truth that becomes evident here. It is because we believers are connected to Jesus. There is a connectedness, there is an organic, mysterious connectedness to Jesus in the suffering of his death. We've got to see that side as well, in the suffering of his death, but also in the glory of his resurrected life. Have a look at verse 10. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always been given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. Now let me put that simply. Your hurts and hardships and pain identifies you with Jesus. Because that's what he went through. You see, we believers... We belong to the Redeemer. We've been united to the Redeemer. Paul uses the analogy in a previous letter to the Corinthians. You know it so well. We are the body of Christ. There's an organic connectedness. There's a mysterious union that takes place as we're immersed into this body of Christ by the Spirit of God. And so in our connectedness, in our belonging to him, the one who suffered and died, but also to him who is alive and has conquered death. And so therefore, you do not need to lose heart because in your weakness, in your weakness of suffering, remember we're speaking about strengthening, God's power, the life of Jesus is made known to strengthen you. Go back to the martyrs. It's a free download, by the way, the book, Fox's Book of Martyrs. Do yourself a favor and read it. It's amazing. It's, a, it's, it's unnatural the way that not, not tens of people or dozens of people, hundreds, thousands of men and women Strengthened by God in the face of, of persecution to death in horrible ways. How did they do it? This is how they did it. The life of Jesus in them, in the midst of their suffering, their connectedness to Jesus, the martyrs down through the ages, strengthened, enabled to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Paul prayed. That Christians would get this truth. Let me share that prayer with you. He prays it uh, for the Ephesians in chapter 1 and verse 17. He says, he says to them, I'm remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. In other words, the things that you need to know, the things you need to explore, the things you need to learn. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, uh, uh, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now here's the point, 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? Do you know that there is the power of God available toward us who believe? That's what he says. He describes it. 
according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Do you get the point? We, we have access to the power of God to enable us and strengthen us through the midst of our difficulties. Thirdly, third reason that we do not need to lose heart. God uses his servants to bless others. I could have added the word there, God uses his suffering servants to bless others. Paul knows and he's identified not only he but others' lives. Our lives are wasting away, bodies are wasting away. Yet in and through the suffering, now this is, this is an amazing picture. In and through the suffering, spiritual life is flowing through him to the church. I think we used to sing a hymn, a channel of blessing. I thought of it too late, Brad, otherwise we would have sang it this morning. Uh, is your life a channel of blessing? It is. If you're a believer, your life is a channel of blessing. Other people are being saved and strengthened, even though Paul is weakening. Verse 12, so then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. In other words, Paul is saying, in my ministry of suffering, grace is spreading to you and glory is going to God. Verse 15, for it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. He doesn't lose heart. We should not lose heart, knowing that hardship is not wasted. And folk, you know, I've, I've asked myself that question constantly over these past two years since Carol was diagnosed. I ask myself the question, Lord, nothing in your economy is wasted. What are you doing? What, what, what will people see? What will glorify you in this? God doesn't waste suffering. My thoughts went to a phrase that I'm sure most of you are aware of. It's, uh, it's a phrase that sums up the historical evidence of this truth. The phrase was quoted by Tertullian, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Naturally, with people having their heads chopped off, nobody would become Christians. That's not the case. The church mushroomed because of persecution. In the midst of person. I've asked myself this week, what is God going to do as a result of what has taken place at Arcadia this past week? I found this quote and I couldn't find who it was by, so it's an unknown author. But it's and it's the reason for that picture you see up on the on on on, on the, the graphic this morning. Listen to this quote. Our state won't let us buy seeds at stores. I don't know if it's a farmer that said that. But the seeds of our faith are like the seeds at the tip of a wild dandelion. Blow on a dandelion at the right time, and the seeds will spread faster than you can imagine. That's what God does in the church. The fourth reason there's no need for us to lose hope is, or lose, uh, yeah, lose hope is that God gives hope. The hope is now, but the hope is also after death. Because our bodies are weak and fragile, 
clay jars and, and they're failing. Uh, but God will raise these fragile, weak bodies, sick bodies from the dead to be with Jesus. Verse 14, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. So we don't lose heart. There's hope. It's going to be all right because not even death can make the story of life have a bad ending. Again, the Apostle Paul, he knows in his own mind, I'm going to live again. I'm going to live with the people I love again. I'm going to live with Jesus and share his glory forever. There's hope. We grieve, but not as those who have no hope. The fifth reason we do not uh, need to become weary, God gives perspective. With God in eternity, and, and, and we must open our mind's eye to the width, if it is possible, to think of eternity. With God in eternity in the picture, Paul has a better perspective on the duration of hardship. He does not lose heart because he describes if affliction as momentary. Verse 17, for this light... Momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I want to pause there and say that he's not saying over there that the pain that you feel and the pain that I feel is not important and it's not felt. Of course it's felt. We are people, we're weak, we understand it. The point he's making, it, he's, he's drawing comparisons over here. He's, he's comparing one thing to another thing. And, and in the light of this thing, this hardship is light. That's that's what he's saying, and he's also he's not saying that that yes, this uh, uh, suffering just passes by quickly. He's in fact saying it it may may last a lifetime. But the point is, it's momentary compared with millions and millions of ages into eternity. Afflictions will end. Any hardship for the believer will come to an end. But there is the prospect of an indescribable, eternal, and glorious future. You see, God does give a perspective, a better perspective. We do tend to think in terms of the narrow sliver of time. But the worst kind of trial here, he, he understands because he has this perspective and he's teaching this perspective, is, 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 is light compared to the riches of inheritance. Romans 8 verse 18, For I consider that our sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. And perhaps there's a lesson for us in that we should be meditating and giving, us, uh, giving far greater attention to the glory which is ahead. Search the scriptures, study the Bible, uh, understand all that has been revealed in terms of that, which is not only true about heaven, but also true about God. I saw a book. Somebody was reading a book as I walked in this morning. Uh, if I can recommend that book, it's a book by Jim Packer, Knowing God. Explore those kind of books that examine the scriptures and, and give you a, a, a far more accurate and more glorious picture of who God is. Well, let me conclude. I, I, what I'm trying to say today is without God, 
we have every reason to despair. If, if you take God out of the picture, God out of the equation of your mind, well, there's no hope. But with God involved in the world, in our lives, in us as believers, we do have good reasons not to lose heart. And I hope this morning there's a sense of encouragement to be strengthened and encouraged. Yes, outwardly the struggles are real. Uh, our, our bodies are wasting away and, and, and being affected in, in different ways, in different places. But inwardly, folk, inwardly, the issue is inwardly, amazingly and wonderfully, God is at work helping us knowing to know the renewing strength that we're all in need of. Perhaps a final few comments. There is a need for us to adjust the direction of where we focus our attention. When we look at Jesus, the things of the earth go strangely dim. When we sing a hymn, to God be the glory, there's a sense in which the things of the earth seem less of an issue. Or you turn to this particular passage in verse 18. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are unseen are transient. The things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So I encourage you, look, let us look together. The power of God, the life of Jesus made known, revealed in the midst. Maybe even have conversations with each other on how this is happening and how this is taking place. Look around you in the church. Those who are really going through difficulty and see the life of Jesus flowing through their suffering and how that encourages other people. It's one of the privileges of my job. I often go and see people to encourage them and I come away feeling more encouraged because of what I see in their response to their particular hardship. It's the life of God at work in them. Also look and see that your hardship, my hardship, our hardship, does not have the last word. Ultimately, we anticipate the resurrection of the bodies. Let's not forget that great achievement Jesus has brought about because of his conquering of death and sin. Consider perspective in terms of this life and eternity. Consider the reality of glory and heaven, God, and all that he has prepared for us. Our suffering in the light of eternal pleasures. Look to Jesus. And there's a danger. I know I use phrases, and this is one of the phrases I often use. Look to Jesus, the author, and the perfecter of your faith. And so, Lord, I do pray this morning that in the light of your word, in response to your word, the truth that you have left for us, that you would inspire us not to lose heart, but to continue, Lord, to serve you. And Lord, even in the pain we feel, the pain doesn't go away. But Lord, within the pain, that you would help us to not be crushed, not to remain perplexed, uh, not to be put down by persecution. But Lord, that we would be lifted up in continuing to honor you and to serve you, anticipating that great and wonderful day when all things will be made new. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.